of Nobody Asked for This, a diet culture takedown. I'm Kendra. And I'm Megan. We're so glad that you're here again for this great episode and this wonderful upcoming interview with Robin. Guess what? What? We're in the same room. I know. I can see your face in real life. What? I know, right? Yeah. It's wild. I'm here for the week. You're going to hear this as I'm leaving town, listeners. But yeah, it's we Have we talked about how you don't live here? I don't know how much we've talked about that, but I don't live in Nashville. Where do you live? I live in Virginia. I think maybe we did talk about that early on, but episode one. Yeah, so you're on vacation. You're here for the whole week. Yeah. Ugh, I'm on vacation too. Yes. So this, um, the the tag to our podcast title is A Diet Culture Takedown. Yep. So we thought it would be good to define diet culture. Yeah. As we reference it. All the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I found a definition of diet culture that was written by Christy Harrison, who is definitely someone to check out. If you're not listening to The Food Psych. Yeah, that's you her should, podcast. You should get on that and start listening. It's so good. It's so like, good. it's like health at every size mixed with like social justice. It, it's, it's great. Yeah. So here is Christy Harrison's definition of diet culture. First bullet point. It is a system of beliefs that worship thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue, which means you can spend your whole life thinking you're irreparably broken just because you don't look like the impossibly thin ideal. Hmm. It promotes weight loss as a means of attaining a higher status, which means that you feel compelled to spend a massive amount of time, energy, and money trying to shrink your body, even though the research is very clear that almost no one can sustain intentional weight loss for more than a few years. It demonizes certain ways of eating while elevating others which means you're forced to be hypervigilant about your eating, ashamed of making certain food choices and distracted from your pleasure, your purpose, and your power. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, it oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health, which is in quotes, which disproportionately harms women, femmes, trans folks, people in larger bodies, people of color, and people with disabilities, damaging both their mental and physical health. That's it. That's it. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Do we want to talk about any examples of those things? I mean, I feel like we do. We do. Like, you can open up a magazine (laughs) or turn on a TV and see that thinness is worshipped. Yeah. And once you, I do think that once you have a working definition of what diet culture really is, because it's, it's bigger than just a, it's bigger than just a diet promotion of, you know, whatever the company is promoting the diet, right? It really seeps into everything. And once you have more of a working definition, you really do start to notice it. Right. Totally. You know, every time you turn around. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I think kind of the question that diet culture answers, this definition answers is why, mm. why are we here? And why, why, why are eating disorders so prevalent? Well, and we're getting into a whole, a bit, I think a bigger understanding of not just eating disorders, but the detriments of disordered eating. Yes. That's become much more understood and seen in, you know, what diet culture has done to us. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I want to point something out. So I ID as a fat person and I want to talk about how diet culture affects everyone, right? right. It It is not just harmful for fat people. It's harmful for thin people too. Yes. Yeah. Um, but talking about promoting weight loss as a means of attaining higher status, have you ever um, witnessed a situation or been involved in a situation where somebody's lost a bunch of weight and it's like, oh my God congratulations, way to go, you did it. Like, there's a lot of praise for it, as if it's the hardest thing a person can do and, the, like, and like morally good. Yeah, they still may be an asshole deep down, but... But you lost you. the weight, girl. <laughs> yeah. Forget your character flaws. <laughs> right. And also, what does that say to somebody that's listening to that that's in a fat body? Right. You didn't yeah. do it. You didn't do the work. You failed. You failed. Yeah. And then um, 
it talks about people oppress it oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health in quotes so we talk about how when you look at a person you know nothing about their health nothing and any assumptions, we can't say that enough. i know any assumptions are just harmful for both of you so that's diet culture. We do want to give a trigger warning for today's episode. In the interview, we discuss trans issues and transphobia, and um, our guest talks a little bit about weight gain as a side effect of prescription meds. So that might be triggering for some folks. Sure. And just as a disclaimer, Megan and I may be experts in snacks, mm. but we are not experts in mental health, we are not mental health professionals of any kind, so we hope that you are entertained and informed <laughs> through this podcast, yeah. but if you think that those are, if that's something you're searching for, we hope that you will find that in your, in your city with actual healthcare professionals. For sure. We have come to our segment where we talk about diet culture in pop culture. It is called Shut Shut the the Fuck Up. up. Today we're going to be talking about um, how diet culture shows up on talk shows when people are trying to sell those movies and those TV shows. So if you haven't heard, first off, let me be very clear. There will be no spoilers we will be giving no spoilers about end games in this segment. I'm sure, though, regardless of whether you've seen the film or not, you're aware that at some point in the film, Thor shows up wearing, um, oh, he's fat. Thor has gotten fat. So there's a whole conversation going on around, um, you know, why was that a choice that was made and all these things. We want to, um, we're going to listen to a clip where Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor, is on the Graham Norton show. If you don't know, the Graham Norton show is kind of like one of the biggest talk, late night talk shows in England. Um, I don't know if it's throughout other places. We do get it on BBC America, but anyway. So Thor, Thor. So Thor's on Graham Norton. <laughs> so Chris Hemsworth is on, um, and he's actually on for another project, but now he can talk about it. So Graham wants to talk about this fat suit that he was wearing. The other two guests on the couch um, are David Tennant and Michael Sheen. They are there promoting a show on Amazon called Good Omen. Don't know if it's any good. I watched it. Is it good? Yeah, I like it. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so they're going to chime in. Michael's going to chime in a little, about halfway through. So that's the other, voice you're, the other voices you're hearing. So we're just going to play it, and you're going to hear the interview, and then we're going to come back and talk and point some things out. We weren't able to talk about it then, but now we can talk about uh, poor old Thor yeah. in that film. He sort of, he did eat his feelings. He definitely ate his way through his emotions, yeah. <laughs> he did. We've got some pictures. Um, there, there you are eating your feelings. That's it. But now you didn't do that. Oh, no, that was my uh, full Raging Bull Oscar attempt. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that, I mean... It's, so this is a fat suit. This is no, it's the most remarkable thing. It, it, it's a. It's uh, so good. It's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> prosthetic uh, latex kind of thing, which literally I would slip into. It weighed about 60, 70 pounds. Was that 30, 40 kilograms? Yeah. With a zip up the back, and they're taking photos of my body, and then every little sort of. The, the hair or freckle or whatever the hell that was on that thing. It was, it was, it was that's my body in, in like six months' time. <laughs> and like Thor was depressed, but we, was it depressing walk for you walking nah. around like that? No, nah, it was so much fun. It was good. <laughs> Did people treat you differently? As in, <laughs> yeah, every time I stepped toward the catering truck, they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We were we were doing an interview yesterday, <laughs> and the journalist for Good Omens, and the journalist said, asked me, were you wearing a fat suit for it? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't zip up. <laughs> Didn't she? 
She did, I'm afraid. She didn't really recover from that moment. No, no, no. The interview, the interview never it went so quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and did you get the, the pregnant lady thing where people just want to touch your stomach? You got a lot of cuddles. <laughs> My wife, yeah, I've, had three, I've had three, she's had three kids. And uh, often, you know, the pregnant lady, they get the, the belly rub in the yeah, supermarket. Yeah, yeah. And Robert Downey gave me a fair share of belly rubs. <laughs> Everyone was wanting to cuddle me. I feel like Santa Claus, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do sort of Avengers on my lap from time to time. <laughs> oof, oof. Okay. So the very first thing that Graham says is, poor old Thor. <laughs> because fat people need to be pitied. Yeah, so in every time you see, every time you heard a laugh track, almost every single time, was when they were showing him in the fat suit. Yeah. Topless. He's always topless too. Yeah. In all the photos they showed. Um in the in the prosthetic he was wearing because it wasn't actually fat suit as you would think. It's actually a, a whole prosthetic. Top prosthetic thing that they made or whatever. Right. I mean, we'll probably refer to it as a fat suit and it functioned as a fat suit, but it was That's right, but it was the yeah. prosthetic. So what we were saying was every time they show a picture of him in this there's a, a tons of laughter. Tons. Like, it, it's clear they've put it in, too. That's, uh, like, some interesting decision that was made by the producers, you know, to, like, oh, they didn't laugh hard enough, so let's, like, yeah. add. Yeah, yeah, uh, And it's, like, isn't it hilarious that Chris Hemsworth... <laughs> Chris Hemsworth. Quit. Oh, oh, Chris. Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Isn't it hilarious that he looks fat? Why is that so funny? Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about this as if we haven't seen the film, too. Just because FYI. I have Because Megan hasn't. I have. Megan hasn't. So I'm trying very hard to just talk about what we what we watched and not about how it plays out in the movie. Sure. Um, but anyway, the other thing is, like, I thought it was interesting that he, Chris jokes when he, when he's determined, when Graham is trying to determine if it really was a fat suit or if he really gained the weight. Um he says, oh, it was my attempt at an Oscar, you know, because that's the thing, right? You, It's acceptable to gain weight if it's for the art. Yeah. Um, which is just like right. ridiculous. Totally. Also, Graham says he did eat his feelings, didn't he? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which is okay, first off. To- yeah, well, that's a weird... <laughs> I don't like that phrase in the first place. Now no, that I'm phrase, thinking about it, yeah. eat your feelings is like problematic but um but sometimes food as comfort is okay you don't have to eat only when you're Mm -hmm. hungry and Mm -hmm. there's a value kind of moral value that's been placed around that idea that doesn't isn't shouldn't exist right that's a coping mechanism for some people and sometimes they need like sometimes yeah yeah when it gets in the way of doing kind of uncovering work that's a whole different thing but that's no one's to decide for you that's your work to do with your health professionals or whatever whoever you deem you want yeah, to do that work with. Yeah. The eat the feelings things um, perpetuates the idea that like uh, people become fat because there's some sort of um, depression or like mental health issue that they're dealing with. Yeah. He did ask, Graham did ask him that, right? He was like, so Thor was depressed, but um, did that make you, was you depressed having to wear that thing? And it was like. Which part of me was like. A fair question because being in a fat body, you do experience discrimination and maybe that would cause depression. Mm-hmm. But then the other part, it was like, that's a big assumption to make. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing he was never around people who didn't know it was a suit he was wearing. Yes. Like he's just on. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Like, and he takes it off and goes home as opposed to like. Yeah. Which is why like it's okay to being be a, a method actor and wearing it twenty four seven. But I do. But in some ways, yes, the depression. Like, was it? Would it be depressing? Like, weren't you depressed having to wear that? Mm-hmm. And it's like I think he was getting paid a lot of money to wear it. So I mean, and just then, the whole idea around the. I was like, I don't know that you understand what happened here. Yeah. Right. And his response was, "It was fun." No, it was fun. No, it was fun. That made me mad. Uh-huh. I mean, the whole thing made me mad, but that made me really mad because, like, oh, how convenient for you. <laughs> you get that fun. Guess what? It's not fun to walk around in my fat body in this world, not because it's bad to be fat, but because people treat you poorly. Right. That's right. So that is just showing your privilege. A privilege. Definitely. 
He also makes that joke about the catering truck, like being kept away from food. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's just like <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know what to say. Then about people that, have permission so. to eat. Fat people don't have permission to eat. Fat people's eating habits are scrutinized every day, and it shows his own internalized fat phobia because that's the joke he went for. Yeah, for <laughs> was, sure. Oh no, they went. They like, walk into the catering. Oh, go with another. Yeah. You know, like oh, hmm, so you also think fat people shouldn't eat? Cool, right? <laughs> it's like, and did you catch that it wasn't just pushing him away from the food, but that he said something like they would said something about a treadmill. Oh, go to oh yeah yeah. Oh, gotta work that off. And then Michael Sheen pe- peeps up, <laughs> who I love. Michael Sheen's so fun. Um, and David Tennant. And says like he was literally asked if he was wearing a fat suit the day before. And I think that this is it also highlights uh, why fat suits or prosthetics to make a person an actor look look like they live in a fat body um, are problematic because then. <laughs> you get questions like that and i think it ju- i just think it shouldn't happen yeah. first of all um think about the commentary that you're trying to get across with your fat characters right right and then because most of them are like they're fat for a reason because mm-hmm. that's part of their storyline mm-hmm. because what else could they have going on in their life right. but the other part of that is if you're writing a fat character which is great please write more fat characters right. get a fat actor to play that character <laughs> Okay, we don't need any pretend fat people. Or does can you just write characters and cast the right person and like it not be about their body? Well, at I think all? I think it's I think like shrill, like yeah, put fat people on TV and let it be about their experience, but hire fat actors. Right, but also just put fat people on TV in roles that have nothing to do with their Absolutely. body. Absolutely. Like, just hire the best actor, the one who has the best chemistry, the one who Absolutely. gets the char- the ter- internalizing of the character, right. and, if and you, like, doesn't have anything to do with what they look like. Yeah, and if you have an internalized fat phobia, and guess what you do, um, then realize that you might think that the best actor for the job is a thin person because you value thin- thinness. Right. So be inclusive. So be aware of that. Yeah. yeah. There's, like, if you're trying to go for some, like, particular aesthetic... Either way, be aware. Yeah. Like, are you trying to use a fat body to commodify this space or this particular aesthetic you want? For a laugh. Right. Or does the, does that, even if it's quote unquote in a good light, like mm-hmm. you're painting the story, are you still using it to commodify like diversity? Right. Or. Tokenizing. Yeah. Are you tokenizing it? Yeah. Um, or are you genuinely like, this is the best person for the job and we all have to acknowledge that internalized fat phobia in our process of all that too you know yeah yeah the last thing he talks about is how like he was cuddled a lot Mm -hmm. he wanted people people wanted to cuddle him Mm -hmm. and touch his belly Mm -hmm. just so fascinating Mm -hmm. i've never had somebody want to touch my belly have you no yeah they're scared of it it's weird i mean i'm scared why is that like i'm just curious like what's the question for that like why people ask that when they Wear fat suits. I don't know, but I did think um, the cuddling thing speaks to a trope about fat characters or fat humans that is um, comforting and maternal often. And um, like he even mentioned Santa Claus mm-hmm. and like the fat jolly character is such a stereotype. Such a stereotype. Um, the other side of that that I'm curious about is um, how we can talk about our bodies in a way that isn't a problem. So like I have a big stomach, so I think it's fun to hug people and I think people like it because it's comfy. Yeah. And like, that's good, right? That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very two-sided. Right, right. Yeah. But like, so I want that, but I do not want that to mean that I am nurture that I am only nurturing and here f- as a bur- as to hold your burdens, literally and figurative- figuratively. Yeah, uh-huh. your bodies and your problems. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's complicated. Yeah, it's a very um, it's it's the awareness of layers of people and yeah. that people don't exist as one thing mm-hmm. is the is the bottom issue of all. I mean, I think it's the root of a lot of it. What yeah. we're talking about, like. If you're fat, then you can only be X, Y, and Z. You can't be A through yes. whatever comes before right. Y, X, W. Is it W? 
Ja, ja. 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 Yeah, so it's like if you are in an audience of one of these shows and they start talking about fat bodies like it's a joke, don't laugh. Yeah. Like that's part of your resistance, I think. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not a joke. Like This isn't funny to me. If that's how, you know, they portrayed that person or whatever, fine. But like, it's not a joke, you know? Yeah. People's bodies are not jokes. Yeah. And to use them as such in art forms, you know, is a problem. Right. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. So we say, shut the fuck up. This episode has been brought to you by Wide Calf Boots. Clothing brands that advertise on diverse bodies and then actually carry inclusive sizing. favorite Lizzo song cause I love you I'm crying cause, cause I love you We're so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here, yeah. eating my truffle almonds. Do you want to just tell us your background? So I'm born to a Mexican woman out of this country and an Anglo man. And so I'm a mixed race Latinx. And so you can imagine with a Mexican mother and a white father living in Texas, food is really important, Yeah. right? We liked to host people, and food was a technology around which we gathered, mm. and it and it still is in my life. And there were times when my mom and I didn't have enough food to go around. I, I for the first twelve years of my life, I lived with my mother after my parents uh, divorced, and we didn't have the means to buy food or have electricity. And so, I, I when I moved to live with my dad when I was twelve. Um, I went from living in deep poverty to affluence. Wow. And and food in both circumstances were a central thing. Um, central to... Central just to the livelihood. Yeah. You know, um, my mom did her best to make sure that we had what we needed and wanted, even when we didn't have mm-hmm. the money to do so. When I moved to live with my dad... Um, he loved to grill and um, loved to really throw down, you know. See a barbecue guy. Barbecue guy, yeah, yeah. And so I would gr- I learned to grill from my dad, and he had a huge barbecue pit, you know, and a smoker, and you know, we we would make garbito, which is young goat, mm. and it's very good. But I I say all that to say that um, I feel like. I had a pretty good relationship with food, even even though I didn't have food all the time. Right. You know, um, the food scarcity is a real thing yeah. and ha- has been traumatic. And and I feel like the the relationship that I have to food and with my body are not aligned. Mm. And what I mean by that is that I grew up. Um, seeing how food was a gathering technology. And then, you know, I had a brain surgery and, uh, well, two, I had a brain aneurysm and two surgeries to correct it. And then, um, you know, was put on medicine that jacked up my metabolism. And then in 2009 was diagnosed with a, um, a mental illness and take medicine now that has caused my relationship with my body to be very skewed. Yeah. And as a result, I've gained a lot of weight. And so I, I say all that as a way of sort of narrating my story because I think the relationship that we have with our body and to our, to our food should be more aligned than what it is for me. Mm. 
And I mean, I would say I'm a foodie and I love good food, but that always doesn't translate to like how I treat my body. Yeah. Like I still skip meals. Yeah. Um, I still don't pay attention to my body. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very much on a journey. Yeah. Uh, I've also lived a lifetime in academia where you you are not taught to be kind to your body. Mm-hmm. It's a very sedentary life. And you're stressed out most all the time trying to make deadlines and, and publish your parish and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, my, my life right now is that... I do public theology, public scholarship, and so I'm on an airplane all the time. Right. Um, which means that my food options are limited, and my body is almost always tired. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, a little bit, the, the little bit that about my story, f- like from now in 2020 versus, you know, 40 years ago, is that food is still a gathering thing mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And I, I don't always have control of my food mm-hmm. when I'm traveling. And so yeah. this the relationship I have with food in my body, it just, it needs, it needs help and needs work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what I would say as like, yeah. a, as like a beginning point uh, about me. Something that I remember from hearing you speak several times is how you talk about stories mm-hmm. and how stories are sort of our best teachers. So I'm wondering about stories where you've sort of come into contact with diet culture and then also how diet culture intersects with the oppression that trans folks yeah. experience. Yeah, I mean, I remember clearly after having brain surgery. And, I and was, how old were you? I was 16. Okay, wow. And I was going into my senior year in high school in Texas. And after my two brain surgeries, and I was in the hospital for a month, I was put on an anti-convulsant. Mm-hmm. anti-seizure mm-hmm. medicine and it like jacked up my metabolism yeah and made me gain weight <clears throat> and I remember clearly I was looking for an outfit for the spring concert the spring band concert mm-hmm. where we had to dress up and I asked my dad who had really raised me as a boy and mm-hmm. and really I did boy things but I was trying on a dress mm-hmm. because my dad um I mean, even though I was super gender not conforming, I I would sometimes wear clothes that were aligned with female body okay. presentation. And this was one of those experiences. And I asked my dad, do I look fat? And he said yes. Mm. And it was a moment where I had so internalized the narratives from society that we should not look fat. Right. Um, and, and there my dad was confirming it and it's always stuck with me you know i feel like the the stories of diet culture really impacted me during my senior high school because following me asking my dad if i looked fat he enrolled me in weight watchers you know because it is true that this medicine made me gain some weight and and you know i was graduating so i was trying to find myself and my place and he was just, he, I understand he was trying to take care of me. Sure. Um, but instead of sitting down, having a conversation about food and movement and how to be healthy, he went straight to diet culture. Yeah. And so that has been a thing that I've tried to avoid. So I, I, in 2009, I was diagnosed um, with a mental illness and um, they put me on medicine and it's caused me to gain a significant amount of weight. And my, my former partner at the time, um, said, well, why don't you do Weight Watchers? And so she even went to to diet culture, mm-hmm. you know? And so instead of, again, like instead of sitting down and like just talking to me about, yeah. okay, like this is the impact. This is a consequence of this medicine. It's good for you. Yeah. It helps you. Yeah. Let's figure out how to treat your body well in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you. Kate Moore is the first person who has done that. Really? Over at Get Fit. Wow. Way to go, Kate. Yeah. I mean, I think of myself as like a robust person in personality, in thought, in body. And there's something that like, I'm not trying to get skinny. Sure. I don't want to get skinny. There's something, (laughs) you know, like I said this to you, like people really love to hug me because I wrap them up. Yeah. And it's not about being skinny to me. I can do those things, weigh what I weigh. Mm Mm-hmm. 
if I can just start moving. Yeah. And for me, it's like moving through the gender dysphoria and start moving. Yes. Right? And not capitulating to diet culture. And as a trans person, as someone who for many years has opted not to engage in the medicalization of trans, that I've now decided I'd like to take steps toward top surgery, but no T. And even like, how do I want my body to look? Yeah. Right? Like... Um, I want so part of the movement is in preparation for top surgery mm. so that I can be like as fit as I can be so that my recovery will be better. When you talk about non medical transition versus yeah. a medical transition, that includes top surgery, bottom surgery, and T mm-hmm. for if you're transitioning. If you want to fully transition. If you want to fully transition, yeah. got you. And, and non medical would be. Non medical would be. Um, not opting for surgical intervention or for any sort of endocrine no hormonal no hormones gotcha okay so at what age did you start using the word non-binary or Um, at what what point did you discover that i mean probably 10 years ago 10 years ago, I started using gender neutral pronouns. Okay. Prior to that, I thought that I was both female and male, that I didn't want to be male and have always, I mean, I've worn men's wear forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the first time that I bought men's underwear in my doctoral program, I, up until that point, I was wearing boxer briefs for women because I, I like the boxer briefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I said, I thought to myself, well, if I'm wearing boxer briefs, why can't I just wear men's? Right. And so I went and bought a pair of men's and now I buy boxer briefs online, you know, and they're fun and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I, I mentioned all that because that is all the sort of how I present myself and my clothing was all part of this non-binary journey that I was sort of presenting more masculine but maybe androgynous before I got to the language of non-binary okay and really it's new language non-binary is new and as soon as I saw it I was like yes that is me because the way that I would like when I would write on gender um, and the body I would write female and put a slash in between F-E and male as a way to talk about there's something more here yeah um, so yeah not non-binary uh, became the term that I used probably eight years ago um, and and trans too as as like yes but but it's it's been part of my story my entire life yeah i just didn't have access to the language right you know yeah language is so important yeah when you were talking about the weight watchers i want to circle back a little bit when you mentioned two different people in your life that loved you that addressed this with you yeah so often i think we think about health in terms of, um, well, how much we weigh. And that's yeah. sort of where we end it. Yeah. And we don't include mental health in the picture. Right. And one, it's tough for somebody to come at you and say, hey, you need to lose weight. So that's not great for our mental health, mm-hmm. just to be um, told that we need to change something, right. that how we are isn't right. And then also, you were taking a medication that you really needed, mm-hmm. that was serving you, right. serving your mental health. Right. So... It makes me put up with this bullshit world. <laughs> exactly. I need that pill. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I got some pills I need as well. Right. Yeah. But I just think it's interesting how we have, you know, it's not a holistic, I think maybe our, in our, well, diet culture yeah. keeps us. Yeah, from being integrated in whole. Yes. And, and like yeah. when I went and talked to Kate over at Get Fit, she said, I believe in being healthy at any size. Yes. So however you want to, however you want to be. Yes. 
And I'm like, great. I'm like, this isn't about losing weight for me. This is about just being healthy. Yeah, for sure. And so I may not lose any weight. Yep. But at least I can strengthen my heart muscles, strengthen my respiratory system. Yes. Get the cardio that I, you know, like I can, I can tend to my body in a way that it needs to be tended to. Yes. I love that. And so just take movement for an example. When, when a non-binary chooses to go work out, there are these expectations that they would do certain exercises or not Mm. based on presentation. Right. And so this is why I think a lot of trans people who are non-binary like don't like gyms because of what it stands for, you know? Yeah. It's not a safe place probably, or it doesn't feel like a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say the expectations, because I did not, I've not thought about how gendered uh, fitness is and spaces are. Yeah. And the expectation of like, well, if you're a woman, you do this, but you don't do these arm ones because you don't want to bulk up or is that kind of what you mean about the expectations? Or, or if you are more male presenting, then obviously you're going to be a beefcake. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, those are social expectations. I'm wondering about your relationship to the church and how that has informed your identity or how that hindered your ability to navigate those things. I mean, you're talking about how you didn't have the the certain language until later on, but you always knew. Yeah. Um, So I'm kind of curious to know a little bit about that, if you're willing to speak. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trained as a theologian. I have a PhD in theology and ethics. And so I've spent a lot of time in church spaces and in the church um, and read a lot about theology and gender since I was in college. And so, I mean, I probably developed an analysis around gender and religion, gender and theology before the language became aligned with my experience. And so early on in seminary, I was reading about gender and bodies and like knowing intuitively that I was not female, um, but I didn't have the language of what I was. And so I would like be searching and gathering information as much as I could um, until, until I found the language that resonated with me. And so, um, I, I mean, I will say that in my ordination experience in Chicago, oh, oh, a cis white gay man said to me, uh, do you, I think you have an allergy to yourself because you use the term queer. <gasps> and and I, I thought that was really interesting because I've never identified as lesbian or gay because my desire isn't exclusively for one gender. Right. And so I've always identified as queer. And I was gender nonconforming then, as I am now. Um, and so, the, I mean, the church has been a really hurtful place for me to be. I left the church some, you know, 20 years ago um, and invested in academia at, to, to try to be a, a voice on the outside. And I've done a lot of, like, LGBT inclusion work, both for the Presbyterian Church and for United Methodists. And, you know, there's still, there's still work to do. Yeah. There's still a lot yes. of work to do. Um, oh and our, you know, unfortunately our theologies don't reflect the tapestry of gender that our lived experience has. And in, in that sense, the church continues to fail trans people. Mm. And, and the theologies and ethics continues to fail trans people that speaks to um i was reading and listening to um to some of the the videos that you've got on your website yeah reading some of the things that you've done and speaking about um kind of how liberation theology kind of public theology and activist theology kind of how all those are connected and yeah um and if you could talk a little bit about the idea of public theology, I mean, we're, we're kind of already touching on it, but the idea of public theology and why, why that's the term to help differentiate from kind of the ideas of theology and... Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I just think that we have created systems and realities where theology has been privatized institutionally, either the church or academia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that has come with certain expectations and rules of engagement. And I call bullshit on that. Yeah. Because I believe all theology is ethics. And so the the thing that I reiterate to people is I don't care what you believe. I care about your politics. Mm. Because how we act in the world will tell me what you believe. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm a public theologian who um, believes that our stories matter and believes the way we treat people matter and believes that when we find our deepest resonance it's about celebrating our, our deepest differences mm. and if public theology can be that i think that we can transform the world i'm curious to know how you see that as connected to the work of the body um mm. yeah pu- well public theology activist theology yeah, yeah. so the, here's the thing um i the body is missing in my work. And, and a couple of years ago I got turned on to somatics and intuitively I just knew like that's the missing link for activist theology, but I'm such a thinker, right? I'm trained as a philosopher. And so I don't have access to what is here in the body. Of course, people say, Oh, Robin, I think you're more in your body than you realize. And I'm like, Oh, I don't think so. You're but, the expert of your body. Well, also. true. <laughs> true. Okay. But I've just um, partnered, um, thought partner with uh, Aaron Law to to bring somatics into the activist theology project, and so um, that's the that's the next move to include a somatics practice in all of our curriculum that we're doing. We'll hold a social healing convening sometime in the fall, and Aaron will do all the somatic stuff. And I, you know, I'm going to a somatics class. And I'm trying to get into my body deeper and learn more about my body. Um, and I, I trust Erin. I trust what she's doing. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't go to anybody else's class, but I'll go to Erin's <laughs> class. And and so, I I mean, I think the body is central. I, my dissertation was on the body, I should say. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I wrote 300 pages on the materiality of the body. And yes. so I, 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 I believe it. I just don't have the language to... Mm-hmm to do it but thankfully Aaron has agreed to partner with activist theology project and you know like we're just in the beginning stages of that will you tell us what the activist theology project is yeah the activist theology project is um, a little collaborative project that I launched last summer and I work with Ben Saunders from Adelisha company he's my film guy and we've been making film and whatnot digital stuff um, for several years and Anna Galladay who works on sort of more creative advocacy stuff and then Aaron Law who is doing somatic so it's just the four of us um, trying to build a digital footprint of activist theology and um, working in the hybrid space of church academy and movements mm. and um, just trying to get resources in people's hands so that so that we could connect the dots and and dismantle supremacy culture. Really. Yes. Yeah. Just little things. Just you know. like, just you know, little to do list. Yeah. Yeah. So and just, so it just didn't one afternoon. We're just yeah. gonna do it yeah. all in one afternoon right. and like, then take down the, the patriarchy, the take right. down white supremacy, yeah. take down yeah. Yeah. easy. Um somatic. So I've not been to a somatics class. Yeah. Um, but my understanding is it's sort of gentle functional movement. I mean, I don't know. I I mean Sure. It's very, I don't know what functional movement is. Just like things that you would use in your everyday life that would help you build those skills, I guess. Yes. It's, um, the somatics classes that I've gone to are for me, like I have created a relationship with the ground. Hmm. So you're, you're on the floor on a mat and Growing up with a Mexican mother, my mom never did like for me to get dirty. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I would never sit on the ground. And now in the somatic class, you actually get on the ground. And so I have all this <laughs> stuff about um, being on the ground. And for me, it was developing a relationship with the ground. And like feeling, feeling my, my body with the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gentle movements, right? Like rolling over gently one way or the other, um, walking intentionally. It's, it's, I mean, it, I, I have a high after it. Yeah. There's something that happens. Like my endorphins are, yes. they, they call it a mm-hmm. somatic high. Oh. Um, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's super gentle and it's, it's, I mean, it is a form of exercise, mm-hmm. but it's not anything that's going to like tire you out. Right. Nothing very, to be intimidated by. Yeah, nothing to be intimidated by. And I would say, like, if there's a somatics class in your neighborhood, check it out. Because we all need to know how to, like, age gracefully. Yes. And so part of my thing is, like, wh- what if I fall? Can I get up? Yeah. And so, like, do like doing the somatics class is actually helping me get up and down off the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's health. And that's health. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what's beautiful, I think, about somatics is that with the right facilitator who can hold space, mm-hmm. transformation can happen. And so this is a thing that I'm talking with Aaron about, about yeah. how do we actually um, create the space, create the container to do somatics as social justice, mm. somatics as social healing. I can't wait for your book. Thank you. I cannot yes. wait to get my hands on it. Yes. <laughs> We're going to have a party here in Nashville. You're welcome oh, to come. Yay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, is it October? October. October, October, yeah. October sometime. Sometime. Yeah. sometime. Yeah, the book is story-driven, and the book is really a deep translation of my becoming an activist theologian. And the book is taking theory and philosophy and translating it through lived experience and then, and then telling a story. Mm. And I talk about immigration i talk about pressing social concerns so one of those is immigration and how my dad employed undocumented workers on his land Mm. and called them wetbacks and i asked my dad about this and he was silent and so i talk about Mm. how the silence is deafening yeah and i talk about being in charlottesville and um, I you were about, there? I was there. Yep. Wow. And, and when you say there at Charlottesville, do you mean the, the protests yeah, and rallies? Yeah. And um, I talk about what my body has gone through since then. And I talk about resilience for activist theology. And, you know, it's really just like inviting people into a larger conversation. I'm really proud of this book and really proud of how important, how important of a technology story can be for liberation. Mm. And, you know, if it, if it's not about liberation, emancipation, then I'm not interested. And that is what this, that is what really this book is about. And so I'm really proud of it. I have the biggest smile on my face because of what you just said. Will you say that again? If it's not about. Yeah. If it's not about liberation, emancipation, I'm I'm not, I'm not about it. Yeah. And so. I mean, I think in part, that's what this podcast is about, right? Yeah. Liberating people from this ideology that is death bringing. Yes. Um, which I would say is good theology, mm. you know? Um, and it takes a diversity of tactics and it takes a village yeah. to get people free. And, yes. Um, I'm super excited for this conversation and for y'all to be doing this work and excited just the way the people that you'll have on to help expand the conversation, you know, it's so important. Um, and this is part of dismantling supremacy culture because we do have a supremacy culture of thinness Yes. and what health is. Yes. And we won't achieve social healing without this conversation. Yes. So this is important. What you're doing is important. Would you say there is white supremacy culture, um, cisgender yeah. supremacy would you say those are yeah what? I would say there are multiple supremacy cultures okay and uh, which creates empire yes and white supremacy is one economic supremacy is another global capitalism right mm-hmm. uh, war culture is another mm. supremacy culture um, and then I would say this this um desire or greed to to be as beautiful and thin as you can be is another type of supremacy culture right yes um beauty standards have created 
supremacy culture. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like my work in this world as a theologian and ethicist is to help people unhinge from that bullshit. Mm. And that takes a long time. Yeah. That doesn't happen in one talk. But this is why we're trying to create resources and trying to get people in the conversation. I'm so grateful for the work you're doing yeah. and for your willingness to be a voice in this um, in the movement that needs to happen yeah, in, the, in the public square. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm truly, I really am honored to be able to have this conversation with you and to, and to learn from you. I, I really, I'm really grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. There's lots of work that needs to be done. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and it's all the time. We need to be doing it all the time. Yeah. And, and if we can just start having the conversation, which is what I'm hopeful this podcast will do, just get people having the conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Let's talk about snacks, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the sweet things and the salty that we eat. Let's talk about snacks. Let's talk about snacks. Kendra, what snacks are you into? I'm obsessed with a Haribo gummy bear. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they're my favorite. I'm not really into any other kind of gummy bear, but the Haribo ones, if I'm even saying that right, are my favorite. (laughs) I think you are. They sell them in a resealable bag at Kroger. It's a lot of gummy bears that come in that bag. It's delicious. Is there a specific color? No, I like all of their colors. I get so excited eating a gummy candy and getting like a like a clear or a yellow one when it's not lemon. When it's like pineapple or like um, coconut sometimes, I think. So the only thing that I can think about is the sugar-free gummy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They're, they're, they, they do things to your body. Yes. <laughs> That fake sugar is going to get <laughs> that you. That fake sugar, yeah. Uh-huh. We should just be eating uh-huh. real sugar. That's, That's my exactly point. Right. That's my point. Hard agree. Yeah. I love that yeah. point. We should just be eating real sugar. Yeah, and they make the Haribo in sour, too. Oh, okay. They're a great movie snack because they last forever. Like, I mean, you can just, you just, mm. they don't like disintegrate like some of the other gummy bears do. They like have a real oomph to them. They're good. Um, Megan, what's a technical are, term? A real tough. Yes, we're chefs. We talk about how we're chefs, and we we make up. We have we know all the chef words. So yes. umph is one of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Megan, what are you eating? What is your snack of the day? Well, I'm not eating this right now, but last year I was gifted a huge bag, like a like a gallon sized bag of Jordan almonds, mm. and I know that I'm probably in the. of people that like Jordan almonds. Yeah, this is an unpopular opinion. I really like them. (laughs) They have really cute pastel Easter colors. There's a nut in the middle, candy coated, (laughs) like everything you could want. Yeah. I mean, if you like them, they're good, right? But why don't you like them is the question. I just feel like if an almond's going to be covered in something, it has to be chocolate. And what are these and covered nothing in? else. Like, um, just like... It's just like a candy, candy coating, like a Skittle candy coating. No, well, hang on. <laughs> it is not a Skittle candy coating. It's like... I mean... It's like a nice, like a, just a gently, gently sweet yeah. coating. I don't know. Yeah, I like gentleness. Gentleness is good. I do too. Yeah. yeah. There's like a subtlety. We we need more gentleness in the world. And maybe Agreed. Jordan's almonds can help us. Maybe they achieve can. that. Maybe we take a a hint of Yeah. Yeah. From Jordan Almonds. Yeah. Robin, tell us what you're into. Yeah, so I love charcuterie. Yes. And I love to eat it like snack on charcuterie or uh-huh. do it for a meal. Yeah. But I love all the different meats. Mm-hmm. Um I love meat. And I love cheese. Mm-hmm. And I love almonds. Mm-hmm. And I love the Greek mix olive from Whole Foods. So mm-hmm. I could easily snack on like prosciutto, cheese, and olives all day. Let's talk about snacks. 
We like to move it, move it. We like to move it. Okay. How are we moving for joy these days, Megan? As we mentioned in almost every episode, we love Get Fit 615 here in Nashville, owned yes. by Kate Moore. So good. Yes. So welcoming. So inclusive. I'll be spending time there. Yeah. Yes. Um, they do um, like 40, I want to say they're 45-minute sort of classes that are super fun to jump in. What I like is that nobody looks at each other during the class. You know? Oh, I'm going to be looking at people. You know why? I'm like, how in the fuck do I do this? I'm going to be looking. Yes. My issue is that if I'm looking at people, I'm like, oh, I got to be doing what they're doing. And then I don't listen to my body. Right. And like go too hard. Yeah. But I will say this. If anybody wants to do burpees but cannot do a burpee, I cannot do like the normal burpee. I can burp. I can <laughs> But I can't do a burpee. Yes. I can burp, and I have a favorite kind of burp, yes. which is not what this segment Wait, is about. But right. just what? <laughs> there I'll be di- here all day. There Don't are worry. different kinds of burping. Is that yeah, there's like the way a carbonated beverage burp feels, the way a milk burp feels, the way like a beer burp. burp feels. A beer burp a beer is burp. something particular. Now I do yeah, know what a beer burp like, is. That rings true to me. No. What's a milk burp? Do I want to know? I just think, well, it's just like, it's not as harsh on the throat and it's like a little sweet. It's less of a guttural. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They're the best kind, in my opinion. Wow. A milk burp is the best kind of burp. I'm anyway, grossed out. Burpees. <laughs> burpees. But you need cookies with that milk. That's true. Oh, yeah. Now, yes. a cookie burp I would be into. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, a modified burpee, I would use a um, Bosu those balance trainers they're like a curved ball on one end and then flat on the other side so you use that to go down into a burpee so you're holding onto that so it adds a little bit of stability but it's a little more doable than like with your hands push on the ground. Yeah, yeah yeah so it's a little more stability and then like i don't do a jump when i come back up i just do a stand up yeah because jumping is sometimes hard on my yeah joints so if you want to try a modified burpee or a milk burp. <laughs> yeah. Do or it. both at the same time. Robin, yeah. what sort of movement are well, you? Well, I feel like I just need to be moving more. Yeah. And now that it's warmer, I want to start walking. Yeah. You know. But I, you know, I just, I have some phobia around sweating. And so, oh, like, the working yes. out and intensity is, um, I just have some gender dysphoria around that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I'm, I don't move a lot. Yeah. But I used to ride a bike all the time, and I used to do, do triathlon. So I have, I have Whoa. moved. I have moved in my lifetime, but uh, not currently moving a lot these days. But I'm, I'm hoping to spend some time with Kate more over at Get Fit Six One Five. Yeah, yeah. I want to know more if you want to talk about it about the sweating phobia because as you said that, I was like, every time I'm in public and I sweat, I apologize profusely yeah. for it. Yeah, I think for me. Um, is the sweating illustrates that I'm having to work a lot. Yep. And maybe it means that I'm out of shape. Yep. And so I feel anxiety about that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but also there's some gender dysphoria around the sweating and that maybe I am doing, doing the, the movement too much and therefore exhibiting a gendered performance that I'm not wanting to mm. exhibit, right? Mm. So as a non-binary person, I never want to be too much male or too much female. Right. Um, and so is the is the sweating pushing me more into more male-identified mm. expressions? And so I think about that a lot. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And something I had never thought about. Yeah. So which way do you feel that you're pushing too far when you're sweating a lot? Into more male-identified, yeah. Or male-identified, yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. And and I think masculinity is, it's so, um, it's so varied. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I am being masculine, but... My internal narrative is you're being too masculine. And because I don't, like, I've never wanted to fully transition. Right. I don't want to be a man mm-hmm. or a guy. Um, 
that the sweating, I don't know, it's just a barrier for me. Yeah. And so I've had to sit with that in therapy yeah. for several years. What, what yeah. did your, did your therapist have any tips or not tips, but like well, my practices, I guess? My therapist will just check in with me and ask me, how yeah. are you doing with the sweating? And Like sweating is natural. It's what we yeah. all do. Yeah. Um, but for some reason I have associated it with a gendered performance mm-hmm. totally. and, and so it, it will prevent me from moving, mm-hmm. but you know, Kate is like, you're welcome here. It's all good. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a try. One of our guests, uh, does a lot of hiking and she would talk about what kept her from hiking because she's in a bigger body mm-hmm. and it was the heavy breathing yep. and the sweating. And I definitely feel that when I'm around, um, people with thin privilege that like, I feel like I'm huffing and puffing and I feel like that sends a message about my fitness mm-hmm. when it doesn't, it's mm-hmm. just how to be alive. <laughs> yeah. Breathe. I just was in Seattle and Seattle has lots of hills. Mm-hmm. And I was walking up and down these hills, and I sat down in the purple store. Literally, everything in the store is purple. <laughs> and my girlfriend said, you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm just giving thanks for my body. Yeah. Because I was breathing. And I was, like, just breathing. And it felt so good to be breathing. I love that. Kendra? Gym, gyms can be such a hard place. Like, <clears throat> as someone in a fat body, gyms can be such a hard place to be in general. It's, you know... And I, um, go to a gym here with, it's just planet fitness. It's not, you know, yeah. it's that very, uh, everywhere you go, yellow and purple gym, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I really love the circuit room because you can really set in their circuit room, you can set your own level and it d- doesn't matter kind of your fitness level or what you're trying to accomplish. You like, there's a variety of ways that you can use that room. Um, and I also like it because it's like, it's one space within the larger, it's kind of its own space within the larger gym. And so uh-huh. that feels really comfortable to me to go in there and just be able to focus and just kind of do my round and then peace out, you know, right. without lots of people walking by or whatever. Right. So, yeah. um, so, but I enjoy being outdoors as much as possible, but when I can't be going, going to the circuit room there at Planet Fitness close to me is where I like to go. So. Cool. We love joyful movement. We love it. Now for our Fat Friendly Hall of Fame, this week's inductees are... America Ferreira. I'm Brianse on Instagram. And our guest... Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. These are the people we've been waiting for. We are the people we've been waiting for. Well, that's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned a lot and have a lot of food for thought. We certainly had a lot after that interview. It was just so, so, so good. So we want to be sure you know where you can get more information about Robin and learn more about the work that they are doing. So you can go to Robin's website, which is irobin, Robin with a Y, R-O-B-Y-N dot com. And you can learn more about the Activist Theology Project at activisttheology.com. But here's the kick. Activist and theology share a T. So there's only one T leading into theology. Um, These are all linked in the show notes below, so you can go check it out. And pre-order the book that comes out on October 1st. Pre-orders are a really big deal for um, authors to know it gives people the gauges of how many they're going to order and, and supply for the stores. And so pre-orders are a big, big deal. So if you can, go ahead and pre-order it. Um, again, linked below. Basically anywhere you buy your books. But from what I understand, Amazon is one of the best places that people pull those analytics. So um, so if you can get it from Amazon, if you feel comfortable with that, do that. But the link's below for you to get it wherever. 
Yeah, and be sure to check out our season finale. It's coming so soon. Yeah, it's that episode's going to be out on June 21st. So yeah, look out for that. Kendra, what's your secret weapon? My secret weapon is that if you name two stars of almost any within my lifetime teen drama, movie, television show, whatever, I can all, about 90% of the time tell you what it is that okay you're trying to figure out emma stone and pin badgley oh one of my favorite that's one of my favorites honestly easy a it's such a i love movie. it patricia clarkson in that movie is hilarious yes anyway my and secret- stanley tucci is and stanley one. tucci oh such a good film my secret weapon is that i'm sporadically good at bowling sporadically. <laughs> never know what i'm gonna get sometimes so it's all chance yep it's all chance. And like sometimes I'll have a really great game and mostly I'll have really bad games. I don't love bowling. But as long as you always have fun. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think of bowling as like an interruption of a good conversation. <laughs> I think of most sports. Anyway, we wanted to say that podcasters secret weapon Secret weapons are ratings and reviews. So go to your iTunes podcast app. And if you feel so inclined, give us five stars and then leave us a review. Uh, we have, I think, two reviews right now. Lovely reviews. Which are so great. Thank you. Thank, thank you to you. Abby and Casey. Thank you to Abby and Casey. We so love good. you. All right. Bye. We'll see ya.